You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 113th program of Think Again. And of course, we're back to remote connecting and pre-recording. Think Again is produced by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization that has been dedicated to good social change for over 23 years. I'm Jacques Bouret, and whilst Jennifer is having a day off, I'll be talking with Matt Lloyd Cape from critical think tank Per Capita. We have already welcomed Matt in April this year to talk with us about the interesting and selective ways in which our pork-barreling and rorting federal government has been spreading the disaster money uh, after the 2020 bushfires in the eastern states. And we're back again to housing in this conversation, a theme close to Think Again's hearts. Welcome again to Think Again, Matt. Thank you, Jacques. It's great to be back. We've been talking quite a bit about housing in our Think Again programs. Given our ongoing focus on social justice, the growing inequality in this country and globally, really, and the various symptoms of this progressive deterioration, we have been zooming in on the most obvious elements of the deterioration of that housing situation in several past programs, it means, particularly focusing in on those who were hit hardest, and that is homeless people and so on. About a year ago, for example, we, uh, a formerly homeless person shared his experiences with listeners. We had interviews with workers at several NGOs dealing with those who cannot afford housing. And we have advocated several times for the need to increase public housing, notably in January this year, when we had Matt's colleague, Abigail Lewis, talking about the continuing, if not growing, need to build more public housing, especially against the background of the promised increase in funding for social housing in Victoria. And we did then unplug that a little bit. Whilst we usually briefly presented these housing issues against the background of broader changes in housing occupancy, and the modalities of tenure and ownership in Australia, we had been hoping to have a conversation with someone who could do that with more inside knowledge than we can come up with. And our conversations partners from Per Capita had just come up with the goods again. Matt has just finalised another Per Capita discussion paper about house prices and the cost of living in the 21st century. It's quite correctly titled Generation Stressed. And Matt has been willing to have a conversation with us about it. We do know that housing during the last few decades 
has spiraled out of reach for ever-growing numbers of people, especially for the younger generations. We also know that the housing issue has turned into one which sets generation up against generations. The baby boomers getting a lot of the flack, whilst the macroeconomic background, as is so often the case, remains ignored or misunderstood. So, first off, Matt, could you again reintroduce listeners briefly to per capita and your own professional background and to the broad context within which the research on which that report you have just finished is based, the research in which that nests? Sure, yeah. Um, so per capita is a progressive think tank. We're independent, so we, we don't take funding from corporations. Um, we take... Um, funding from partner organizations in the social democratic space. So trade unions, uh, member organizations, philanthropic organizations, and so on. Um, we're a small team and we're based here in Melbourne um, looking at issues of social inequality and social justice uh, in which housing often um, features highly. Um, we're very pleased to be sort of working it, on a broader set of um, cost of living issues this year because it's something that's close to everybody's heart. And I think with everybody in lockdown now, it's uh, clear that housing uh, has a very uh, significant implication for what uh, quality of life you can have. Um, so for all those people stuck at home working from home right now, um, the idea of owning a home uh, for some is out of reach and we wanted to bring that into the conversation. Uh, it's very much in the conversation in the news every day where people talk about spiraling house prices, um, but we wanted to bring in a different way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. I was pleased to read the, the whole report, really. And it was interesting for me that methodologically you went about the research in a kind of a longitudinal way, didn't you? Mm, you compared yeah. three historically successive groups of aspirational homeowners and you compared how much or what proportion of their respective incomes were spent on what they paid for their home. Could you elaborate a bit on how you did it and why you choose to do it this way? Yeah, absolutely. So what we did was we compared the, the cost of repaying a mortgage um, if you were to buy a median priced house in Sydney and be earning a median wage. Mm. And the reason we did this is generally in the intergenerational comparisons you see, often household income is compared. Um, mm. And that's a very valid way of doing it, but it also means that what you find is that as women have entered the workforce, that um, household incomes have increased. And what we wanted to see was how do house prices compare to a single person's income? Because essentially when you're talking about the cost of living, if you're constantly having to have a household with an increasing labor force participation where you have one main breadwinner and right now we have like a, a 1.5 earner model. So you have one full-time and one part-time worker. And that's mm -hmm. been sort of growing over the decades. Mm -hmm. um, so we wanted to look at a single income and house prices to see what you actually get for your money. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we did it over... Um, the 1970 to 2030 period is we wanted to get a really fine-grained look at what real mortgage costs were, and we used the RBA data, the Reserve Bank of Australia data for that, 
and we looked at real wages. So we didn't have to extrapolate anything. We were just comparing real wages, real mortgage rates, um, real interest rates, and um, and house prices to get a sort of real, actual, factual uh, vision of what it costs for different people. So we looked at a family buying in 1970, another buying in 1985, and another in 2000. Mm-hmm. Oh, those were this, this, the, the sort of the spread out over about something like 35 years, really, if you think about it. Uh, yeah. And yeah, and particularly, it's also right, I think, to do it on single incomes because the uh, single living or single person living households has grown over the year anyway and will keep growing. So that's quite meaningful, I think, to do it that way. Yeah, and, and also it's just a bit of a fudge if you say, oh, well, um, house prices haven't changed against how if they haven't changed against household income. If you've got more people in each household having to go to work to pay that mortgage, you know, it's a little mm-hmm. bit disingenuous. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's sink that in for a while and have some music, given particularly the circumstances in Afghanistan. Probably already now an invitation for people to uh, get connected with groups who would be supporting people who uh, will be refugees again. And so we're going to listen to Azra Dukhtari Hazara by Taki Khan, who actually is a Hazara person. Oh 
ستاره تو دختری هزاره شاید نگفته باشم از عادتی قشنگت شاید نگفته باشم از عادتی قشنگت که میکنی چی آسان دل تو پارا پارا تو دختری هزارا که میکنی Listening to Think Again, 3CR 855am on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're returning to the issue of housing in Australia, something we've addressed several times already. I'm talking with Matt Lloyd Cape again, I should say, uh, from the per capita think tank, who researched the issue and just published a discussion paper about it. So what you're saying, Matt, quoting from a subtitle in your report, that Gen X people who bought their homes around the turn of the millennium, that they suffered from a 130% increase in the lifetime costs of owning a home compared to 30 years earlier or compared with those who bought their homes in the 70s. As uh, Pauline Hansen would say, please explain. Normally, I don't try and respond to anything Pauline Hansen says, but I'll make an exception (laughs) in this case. Um, Yes, so what we were looking at was the the full life of the mortgage uh, and the costs compared to wages. So for the first generation, which is called the silent generation, which bought mm-hmm. in 1970, they were paying around 11% of their wages on the mortgage once you average it out over the full 30 years of the mortgage. For the boomers, that jumped up to 19.5%. Um, and that's partly because of the incredible interest rates people were paying in the 90s. You know, there, mm-hmm. there were, I think there was uh, eight years um, in which, sorry, six years out of eight in which the interest rates were over 10%. And they went all the mm-hmm. way up to 16% at one point. Um, and for Gen X families, the rate of their wages going to the mortgage jumped again up to a shocking 25.5%. Um, now, it's important to remember the taper rate of a mortgage. Now, this is where um, you're, you start off paying a very high proportion of your wages to pay off the mortgage, but it decreases over time. And for the first two families we looked at, for the silent generation and the boomer family, these tapered off um, relatively quickly. Um, but for the um, for the Gen X family, this is tapering off far more slowly. And this is to do with wages and in- inflation. 
Um, so what's happening here is that normally when you, you've, in previous times, when you would borrow your mortgage, there would be a, you know, reasonable rate of um, inflation every year, say four or five, three, four, five percent. And that would reduce the value of those dollars that you borrowed the money in. So um, the dollar value would decrease over time. Um, mm -hmm. And so by the time you get to 10 years later, um, the value of that uh, money you borrowed to pay off the mortgage has shrunk considerably because your wages mm -hmm. are going up and prices are going up. Mm -hmm. um, what we've seen since uh, the decision was made in the 90s that we would try and effectively end inflation or reduce it to a very low rate. Mm -hmm. But what that means, and, and, and that has a, a lot of benefits. I'm not, I'm not advocating that we want to return to like 1970s style uh, in, uh, inflation rates, but what it does do, um, and what we don't, what we should talk about, is, is it means that people's mortgage debt stays equivalent for longer. So the dollars mm -hmm. that you borrowed five years ago are pretty much the same value as the dollars today, whereas mm -hmm. in previous eras they would drop off in value. Mm -hmm. uh, so that I, I do remember the time when I was when we were buying a house that was sort of late 80s and that was exactly what happened to us but when I now see what happens to my kids uh, they are really in a lifelong kind of repayment that's right in the, in the UK they're even talking about intergenerational mortgages now mm, so there you um, go which is a horrific thought. Yeah. Uh, and this is, a, this is a human right. You know, it's enshrined in the Human mm -hmm. Rights Convention, the right to a yeah. home. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're treating it as an asset market bubble and, and, and not dealing with it as a rights issue. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. right. That's right. Yeah. So back to the general context of housing in this country, with this relative explosion in housing debt, what does that do to the households and indeed to the overall economy? It can't be really any good for either can it? Especially if one thinks equality into that equation. Yeah, it's an interesting one because when you look at national st statistics, mm -hmm. um, things look quite rosy. You know, people's debt is increasing, um, mm -hmm. but then their assets are increasing, right? So, you know, sure, your mortgage is um, eating most of your wages, but the asset value of your house that you're sitting on is so much higher. Well, I mean, that's not how people think, right? Like people don't think in terms of um, they want to think of their house in terms of a home more than mm. an asset. Mm. Um, if, from my experience, there are investors, yeah. obviously, and they have a different approach. But mm -hmm. the idea that you constantly ratchet up higher and higher levels of debt has quite a few knock-ons. Firstly, people will people will spend less on things like consumption goods and haircuts and going out for meals if their debt level is high. Even if mm -hmm. they can service that debt comfortably, they still don't like to because there is a, it's called a debt overhang that has this implication for what people want to do with their money. And that's quite sensible. You know, you, you, obviously, if you have this enormous um, debt sitting on your shoulders, then you do want to be more cautious with your money. Mm -hmm. um, so it does have a, a knock-on effect for economic productivity in general. Um, the, the productivity issue is really interesting because obviously, now we have all of these investors putting money into the housing market because there's mm. huge returns to be made. You know, you can make a fortune overnight. Totally. Um, my mm. neighbor, she bought her house last year, sold it nine months later with a $500,000 increase. It's <laughs> absolutely insane. But, you know, those people aside, everyone else is suffering. And it means mm -hmm. that all this money is being funneled into the housing market rather than being invested in companies or productivity or anything that would actually increase 
economic value to the economy. You know, so that all this money in the housing market doesn't do anything. It just sits there, um, not really being productive for mm. increasing our competitiveness in world markets or anything like that. So that's mm. one thing. And then the second thing that we have to really jump on is the intergenerational inequality. You know, we've seen every cohort since the Second World War, there's been a decline in ownership um, of homes. And our, mm. whole, our whole social model, not, let alone the economics of this, our social model is, is based on the idea that we um, have mass home ownership. You know, there was mm-hmm. a decision made after the war that we wouldn't be like Germany or other countries where they'd have strong rent controls and mm-hmm. strong tenants' rights. We would be a mass home ownership nation, and that that would be a social model. And people talk about housing as being the fourth pillar of social security in Australia, which is, you know, if when you get to retirement, you own your house outright, you've got no more mortgage, and you can draw out value from your home to to pay for anything that might come along, you know, if you have an injury or so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then where we are now, we have uh, a decline in mass ownership, a decline in outright ownership, an increase mm-hmm. in pensioners going into poverty because they're paying off a mortgage still, and mm-hmm. a, a young generation that can't get into the market without their yep. parents' help. Yep. And now yep. and now, parents are the, the sixth biggest financial institution in the country when you look at the mortgage market. You know, parent, the bank of mum and dad uh, provides something like an average of $90,000 to around, I think it's around 50 or 60% of new buyers now. So it's an mm. enormous, it's an enormous unregulated and quite yes. ineffective way of passing on money. Yeah, totally. Oh dear. Mm. And that kind of ownership, you know, I was always surprised when I came to Australia about the superannuation kind of model, uh, which is again one which is based on on private ownership and accumulation rather yeah. than making it a social insurance. It's quite yeah, interesting. That's it. mm. yeah, it's like a privatized promo. welfare system. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's have a promo before we go to the last few minutes of our conversation. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're again talking about housing and what it costs younger people to get a house and what it financially means for them across their lifetime. So deduced from all what you've been saying and sharing with us, Matt, what do you and per capita suggest should better start to happen rather quickly to change that conundrum you have been describing? And of course, what should be happening in the long term? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the the main thing that we've... Uh, we can all agree on, and this is something that's sort of well-known in the policy world, is that we need to build more homes. And this is something that you spoke to Abigail about in the, in the past, my, my colleague Abigail. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we're something like 180,000 uh, homes, social housing homes short, and mm-hmm. this is going to rise to over 350,000 in the next 10, 15 years. So we're chronically under-supplying the bottom end of the housing market. 
and take and that you know we really need to take, take the heat out of the bottom end of the market. You mm-hmm. can leave those million dollar, uh, well, five million dollar homes to to, to spiral off if if millionaires want to waste their money in that way. But um, we need to take care of the lower end of the market. So build an, a comprehensive program of home building is what we really need to see. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the perfect time to do it. You know, we've got um, basically we've got the private sector paying the government to borrow money. You know, there, there's so much demand for government bonds right now that the government could uh, have a mass release of 10 or 15 and 20 year bonds um, and finance a huge uh, generation of uh, highly energy efficient model homes for social housing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, there's never been a better time. I mean, we, we're going to definitely be dipping into a second recession during this year after mm-hmm. the, the two lockdowns that Sydney and Melbourne have just gone through or going through. So now's the time to build. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a no-brainer and it's free money on the markets right now because everyone wants government bonds because they want to put their money somewhere safe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other options as well, though. We, we could try and take some of the investor class out of housing. I mean, my yes. personal view and yes. per capita's view is that, that housing should be about a home more, mm-hmm. you know, far more. Homes should always trump uh, mm-hmm. investments, you know. That's right. Um, That's right. And, and mm-hmm. you know, in Australia, there's, uh, I think, around 7 or 8% of the population own a, an investment property. Mm-hmm. But that rises to over 35% for politicians. So MPs, it's mm-hmm. like one in, one in yes. three. So this is one of the problems. So this is one of the sticking points for actually reforming this market. But um, yeah, it'd be very easy to put in place some things like um, capital constraints on mortgage lending, which means, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. example, that you wouldn't lend to, you would reduce lending to people that are uh, investment um, buyers, and they tend mm-hmm. to go in very highly leveraged with a very small deposit. Whereas mm-hmm. buy to let, uh, sorry, sorry, buy to live um, purchases. Um, they, they have to have a, a significant deposit. So we mm-hmm. can strip out a lot of um, the investor class as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So those, those are the two, I guess, two main things that I would like to see happen. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah I would, uh, we certainly would fully agree with that. And that is, again, a theme which has run through most of the programs we've had about housing. Also that there is such a dearth of ho- of housing models like cooperative housing for for example common equity housing they, absolutely they have been coming up in the late 70s and 80s but they're not supported really meaningfully so yeah. uh, hmm, a lot of things to argue and work for and i think do do political work for thank you matt that was again very interesting and very informative you have a good uh, way of dealing with complex issues and making them understandable. So thank you for that as well. Thanks for having me. Mm. So in terms of community service announcements, uh, the new community, its next issue is going to be on ageing and dying. And how does that link with community and with doing things on a community basis? Borland's cooperative is cooped up like mostly everyone else. It's a pity, really, because we would love to invite lots of you into our new place in Footscray, in uh, St. John's Anglican Church. And it's it's a place which starts to look very, very homely. Finally, also, please get to your uh, politicians and tell them to deal meaningfully, positively, supportively with the Afghani people who are going to 
all 3,000 as promised by uh, by our uh, prime minister uh, that actually they come under they that means politicians can come under pressure to welcome them as we once did 50 years ago now to the uh, people who were refugees from Southeast Asia so I think we have a model there which worked and which was good and for which uh, we rightly were being complimented. So let's do that again for the Afghanis. Get in touch with your politicians, make pressure. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with Jacques Boulet and this week Matt Lloyd-Cape from uh, per capita think tank. And again, thank you, Matt, for sharing all of this with our listeners. Great to speak to you, Jack. We certainly look forward to remain a partner of Per Capita and bring their research to you, listeners, hot off the press, as we try to do today. Remember, if you want to send us a message or ask about today's programme, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programmes are available by podcast and the 3CR website, at 3cr.org.au. And thanks again to Clive Vaughan, who has returned to help us out with remote uh, recording and who was available at short notice as it became clear that it would be better not to broadcast direct from the 3CR, uh, 3CR studios. For 200 years we've been beaten down Too long on the door My dignity I'm losing here Mentally I'm on There's a system here that nails us And we're left out in the cold Oh, they took our life and liberty friends But they could not buy our soul Joe Hill died, Jacob Vara fought Pama Wally lay down dead if a person speaks out critically here, they could get loaded down with lead. How long can the majority wait for their story to unfold? Oh, they took their life and lived with their friends, but they could not buy their soul.